0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. This, I gotta just say, this is a total joy for me right now. Um, Malcolm Spellman, who's my guest today, is executive producer and creator of the upcoming Marvel series, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He is also the executive producer And driving creative force behind Hip Hop Explained on FX. Uncovered. Explained to to a guy like me, it's explained. I understand (laughs) it's Hip Hop Uncovered, but it's explaining it to me. You know, how the streets are tied in to the life uh, and and all that stuff on FX, which is awesome. I've been watching it. But uh, he's also uh, uh, manages... The great modern blues artist, Fantastic Negrito, who won his third Grammy Award last night. And Malcolm doesn't just manage him. He uh, basically is his great partner. And uh, together they figured out how to get this whole thing going. His creative partner, his business partner. And Malcolm basically knew he was talented and figured out a way to help him get his stuff to the world. Beyond all that, though, and all the incredible stuff that's going on. Uh, Malcolm, it's rare that there's someone on this show who is truly, you know, they're my family members, and Dave, whatever, truly somebody I love. This is one of my best friends in the business. There's no doubt about it. This is somebody that I trust completely. Uh, and, and we've trusted each other for a long time. And I am just so thrilled, as you know, Malcolm, by this moment you're having right now. So I'm so psyched to have this talk with you at at, at this time. Thanks for being here.
1: Very glad to be here, B.
0: You know, we were just talking before the mics went on. And and it's something I want to cover with you, because you are having this incredible moment right now. But you and I was trying to figure it out. I think 2006 or 2007, we started having these regular breakfasts whenever I'd be in California. And... We sort of have been with each other through the various ups and downs of each other's careers, but you were going through a spell of trying to break through. And a minute ago, you used this phrase, you, you, you were friendly with a bunch of really top successful screenwriters. And you would often talk about how they would treat you when you would be with, rolling with a crew of guys like me and how they would treat you separately or on your own or when you needed something. And just a minute ago, you used the expression, those were the blow-off days. Can you just talk a little bit about what that period of time feels like, the blow-off days, when you you know you're somebody who's got the goods and yet you know you're having a hard time getting traction?
1: Yep. Um, it's it it's it is it's maddening um, because the blow-off days came after me breaking in and getting hot, right? And then I died. And so um you know I'm someone I'm I pay a lot of attention um um, I do consider myself exceptional you know what I'm saying so when I'm around successful people and by the way let me be clear because me and you got the same crew of friends we're talking about the blow-off days with people certain specific people not that we don't want our crew saying well are you talking shit about us behind our back but but getting back to the topic um yeah it's a it's a destructive feeling because you're able to assess your abilities with people who are successful. It does not mean that they are not brilliant. They, one thing I definitely learned being around successful people is they work hard as fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like you're, it's no doubt they're there for a reason, but I, I really, it take me a minute to think of what the discomfort feels like to know nothing you can do, nothing you do can get you out of your situation because you know your skill set, you know, it's not working and, and there's no obvious moves. It's like being, I I guess way to describe it is, you know, them dreams you have where you wake up and you're completely conscious, but you can't move. You know what I'm saying? And you're, that's what it feels like.
0: Well, but you said a couple of really, yes. And of course, you're not, we're not talking about our, our group of like good friends, but we're talking about people, some people on the periphery of that group. Um and it's funny, I can remember all these conversations we had over pancakes, just so many pancakes. And uh and and just plate, just massive plates of food, sadly, that the two of us down really too early in the morning to, to down <laughs> that level of gluttonous food. Uh, and then pretend that was going to be all our eating for the day, which was just a total, that's just a total lie. But, but malk you didn't, you didn't cash it in and quit. So when you say there's nothing you could do about it, in fact, you kind of seem to me like you redoubled your efforts and you never stopped looking at the board to find that move. Where you would, right, because it's not as simple as saying, you, you know, there's nothing you could do about it you knew we're facing certain institutional uh, roadblocks, but you didn't actually stop trying to do the work.
1: No, but that's what made it more painful because at some point, agents left me, managers left me. So I didn't have no moves to make through that uh, uh, avenue. And, And I was still writing and that shit did not matter. And in fact, you know, I've spoke to some of the execs who, like, dude, when I first broke in at, like, you know, I'll name the studio at Fox, execs were fighting about working with me. They would calling my agents up like, I'm the one who brought Malcolm in. I should be the one to get his next project. You know what I'm saying? Some of those execs literally not only wouldn't answer my calls, but when I talked to them many, many years later they were like, they just straight up said, they're like, dude, you were cold. There was nothing we could do. We didn't even like taking your calls because it hurt our feelings because we knew we couldn't get you in. So I broke back in because of forces outside of myself, not because of me. I for sure, I'd say this, one of the things I'm most proud of is just out of spite I was like, I'm never going to stop fucking writing. Even if I end up back in the streets, back home in Berkeley or up in the Bay area, I'm just gonna keep sending these people scripts. And it was, it was almost coming from anger. And um, 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 it was that group of screenwriters who got me back in. First and foremost, it, the first thing that happened for me was uh, the Wibberleys at the exact same time, Derek Hass on a fluke read something of mine and was like, dude, literally, I probably still had an email. He's like, why the fuck aren't you working and making, you know, a lot of money as a screenwriter? And he's like, let me get this to my manager. And at the same time, the Wibberleys had an old project and they brought me in to do it. And that sort of, it, it, it restarted me. Like, I still had a very difficult few years after that, but at least I knew this it could happen, but that's after four and a half years and no work, you know what I'm saying?
0: All right, and when, where in that did we do Yard Dogs together?
1: Um, you were part of, so as, right, so this is all in succession now, right? Like over the I'm saying, where was
0: that on the run? Was that after the four, like where was that was, on the run? It was.
1: It probably was Derek first, yeah. a year later, Wiberlies, and then maybe a year or so after that, Yard Dogs, right? And that's probably the only money I made that, you know, for the, a year and a half. And when we did that project, Yes, like, And that's one pilot, you know, 85 grand before people listening be like 85 grand is a lot of money. It's 85 grand divided by half because the agent lawyer and taxes, you know what I'm saying? And I got to stretch that over. And it gets know, stretched so also
0: that uh, that that money, which, yes, they take out of it because yeah, that was a project where you had an idea and we were able to take you in and try to help get you hired to do it because we you know, I remember that meeting where you pitched and killed the room. You were just so great. And Levine and I would look at each other, and you would turn in these amazing drafts, and we would look at each other like, "Malcolm's elite. He's an elite screenwriter. He's an elite TV writer. This has to turn around for him." Uh, but there was also, I think, uh, and also I was going to say, so that eighty-five grand has to last you through multiple drafts. They don't pay you right away either. That's, That's the right. last until you might get another job, and also, you know, there are many steps along those deals, so it could drag out for a long time. And as you say, then then half of that, but. Malcolm, another thing was there were times where you would be conflicted, it seemed to me, about certain low-hanging fruit kind of jobs that you thought you could go after and get. There were many times you said to me, I don't want to just do the projects where a bunch of black writers are called in to do them, and I want to avoid that. Or then you would write a project that touched on a life you knew, and you could run into resistance from in the end, even though people would say they wanted something authentic, they didn't. And I think talk a little bit about, because this leads up to you deciding to do Empire, but can you talk a little bit, I think it's worth it, about the additional challenges of, you know, coming from where you come from in this business that just doesn't look or sound like you, really.
1: It it starts with, like, and this is something we mentor young writers now, and me and Shell really try and find people that came up like us.
0: Your wife, Nichelle Tramble Spellman, who... Uh, has her own show Truth Be Told on, on the air as a great novelist.
1: So you two mentor writers. And we try and specifically find people that are not on the pathway to Hollywood, like people like us who, did, who aren't going to go to college and all that. And one of the things we try and impart on anyone we're mentoring, but particularly people that are maybe coming from backgrounds more like ours, is the first thing you have to do is learn a completely different culture. You got to understand passive aggressive it's you can judge it if you want to but that is these people's culture you got to understand you know the term keeping it real or whatever right where we come from there's a premium on um, being like hey man that was fucked up or i didn't like that or whatever right that doesn't exist here you know what i'm saying and it makes people uncomfortable you don't have to violate who you are at your core but you have to learn these people's culture to be able to navigate on whatever terms you want to. So that was, that was really, really difficult. And the other thing, man, that's heartbreaking, and this has changed a lot since Empire, um, just for people in Hollywood is, I used to walk into rooms, like, I'm not going to name it, but directors you probably work with, and they they read a script of mine, right? Bring me in. Then when they see who I am, they would go pull out their Black gang project, and be like, and I remember this discussion. It was the it, director's exec, A-list, triple A-list director. Oh, this is the project I really wanna do. And at this time, Hollywood is not making shit that's black. They let right. Tyler do everything. God bless him, he's great, but no one else is getting no run. And, um, um, and, and I said, you know, he brings me out this gang project and, I, and I'm coming here to meet on something specific, which he doesn't even bring up, cause I'm black, right? And I say, let me ask you something, before I even take this on We talk, do you think there's any chance this is getting made? And the dude paused and was like, no, Mm. right? And another time a person I damn near want to name them because they're not white, um, but they ain't black. i met with this exec who breaks the new writers at a major, major studio, right? Or writers that are trying to get in. And this motherfucker walks through the door and says, you know, we don't do black projects here. Now, understand that when someone says that, that means you're not working because they've already labeled you as black, which you are, right? And more importantly, they've put you in a box that you can only do one thing. And that one thing that they think you can do, they don't do. And and it's maddening because you're working with a bunch of liberal white people who have good hearts, right? but don't really believe that you're having this struggle. Um, and and I remember, I don't want to suck up airtime between questions, but I remember one of my, you know, I way afterwards, once I'm back and I'm doing well, this is two years ago, I think, maybe three, I'll give you a short, like, it, it is, so I, I, I'm saying this. One of the biggest roadblocks is the people who are holding you back don't believe that you are burdened with a struggle that's different than theirs because you could be someone like Jeff Lowell who comes from dirt or you could have been a, a heroin addict like uh uh what's the dude's name? Gagan or whatever, right? So they're going to be like, I struggled, you know what I'm saying? What's the difference? Um, I'm at a premiere for a movie I won't name because I was getting calls from people like Judd Apatow who were upset about it. I don't want to, you know, rekindle a mess, right? But it's a big, big, it's a premiere for for a project and I went with Benioff, Weiss, Derek Haas, right? All hitters. Yes. We go to the after party. We all have passes to go, you know, it's the premiere of the movie. You go to the after party. We're walking in just like everyone else, handing hand the guards our, uh, our passes. And as we all walk in together, I get a tap on the shoulder and they kick me out of the motherfucking premiere party, right? Now this is liberal Hollywood. These people watch me handing them passes, and still could not resist kicking me out.
0: What happened? Wait that, a second.
1: What'd you do? Well, this goes to the burden, right? What did I tell that exec who says we can't hide we don't, we don't do black movies? I didn't say shit because then all of a sudden I'm playing into a stereotype, right? Right. Yes. When this dude kicks me out, I'm fucking numb. I can't speak. I'm humiliated. I'm furious. They sent the black dude, black security guard in to boot me out because they knew what the fuck it was like. Meaning this, the guy I'm handing my card to whose security didn't come get me, the white dude who was overseeing him didn't come get me. They sent the brother in and I know he felt bad. Right. So I'm literally just standing there and they're saying, is your name on the list? And I point at the fucking line. I'm like, motherfucker, we're handing you passes. Nobody's on the list. Anyway, Dan came out, he was livid. It was, you know, I love them dudes. But my point being, I could tell in that moment, Derek, Dan, and David were like, oh, fuck, I just saw the thing. I just saw it in real life, right? Yes. But it happens a million fucking times in your career where you couldn't even prove that it's happening. You just know you went four and a half fucking years with no work.
0: Right. When you get thrown out of the party, you actually, in a way, your sanity is restored because it's like, oh, there, I'm not making any of this up. Look at that. <laughs> Look, they threw me out of the party. That's right. That's different than just suddenly it going silent. And I was thinking, even when you said the passive aggressive thing, how in, 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 uh, in some ways in your world uh, that you come from, you know, uh, saying your piece and, and saying, uh, you know, I don't like that you did that is is rewarded or is expected. And we had this conversation so many times, and I think it was in years before I had a full understanding of the difference. Because as you know, that is how I go through life, right? I don't play the other game. I never have. Whether I'm hot or cold in, in the business, and I've been as cold as you could be, I still just will say the thing. But I can, because I'm a fucking white dude who's... Uh, understands all of the codes and impl- just understands it without any sort of um, thinking about it, uh, understands the, that I will be cut. They might think I'm a dick or they might not want to hire me next week. But like you said, I'm not going to be uh, reaffirming a set of beliefs about people like me if I make trouble those and,
1: goddamn big time jewish screenwriters right, you know what i'm saying right
0: right so <laughs> you know when i pick their pockets maybe but so the point is that they uh, that it is a totally different level i pa- paris barkley once told me like uh who's a great director you know harvard graduate head of the directors guild black man black gay man and he once told me he's like you just don't understand In fact, I got to get Paris on the podcast. I hope he'll talk about this. But he's like, you don't understand. I have like six different versions of me that I can be or have to be. You just have to be you, he said to me. I have to be six different Paris Barclays, depending on the exact situation I'm in, or I can't survive in Hollywood. Do you find that to be true?
1: Yeah, it, it is. It is. It's absolutely true. Listen, let me tell you something. One of my closest friends in Hollywood was with you. At a fancy fucking restaurant, right? When you use the word patina, you remember this? When Tim was like, and we kept talking, and Tim was like, "I'm um, hold on a minute, Malcolm, do you know what that word means?" And you went like this, Tim, you can't do that. Oh, good. And I'm, and I'm like, motherfucker, my mom is an artist. Yeah, yes. My mom, <laughs> that that's a daily word growing up. You know what I'm saying? And in that situation, I can bite Tim's head off and God bless him. I love him. You know what I'm saying? That's Wait, I think man, I'm the right? hero. I think I'm the hero of that story. Yeah, yeah you are. You're but I think the I'm hero. the hero. God damn it. But what Paris is saying is like when the police pull you over, right? Yes. That shit is not bullshit, man. This shit is you yes. are scrambling in your brain for a tone and a personality that's going to allow you to get out of this situation. And because you're scared, you might fuck that up and then trigger a cop who wasn't even going to get aggressive or scared or violent, right? Um, So yeah, no, you put on on a different suit with these people because they're very comfortable with you not being there. And if you really want to be there, you got to find a way to navigate them. You got to, sometimes, depending on what your code of ethics is, You just have to keep your mouth shut because you might say something fucked up. And and sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you got to be like what you said and be like this. You got it. But you have to do this math. Right. When I'm getting kicked out of a party, I'm literally compliment ask Dan. I'm standing there silent because if I open my mouth, this crowd of people is going to say this black dude is acting up. Right. And I'm having to do that fucking math in my head about who I'm going to be in that moment. And in that moment, I'm thinking the best I can do is be the dude who just stands here and glares at him and doesn't even speak.
0: And how, just go a little deeper and how that affects you, because I've seen you in Hollywood meetings, kind of synthesize all this stuff and actually be a pretty authentic version of yourself when telling a story or leaning into owning your real self um, when you're in, engaged in, in storytelling. I've also heard you in a notes call be far more receptive than I would be to the bad ideas. And I'm interested in how much of that is you thinking about stuff broader than just the engagement you're in.
1: I would argue you're hard pressed to find me in a situation when I'm dealing with white people in Hollywood, which pays me, where I'm not thinking about all that, right? And let me tell you about that notes call, because I remember I was like, this motherfucker, Brian, is just like, nah, no, we ain't doing with no notes. Get the fuck away from us, right? Those same execs, as you know, we, let's don't name them because I, I, I got a good relationship. Yeah, I don't want to name people, them, right? yeah. But those same execs, when I was working on a different show, I had to set a fucking meeting with them because they was interpreting me as being hostile on the notes call. And I was literally just going like this, nah, like the word nah, was triggering them and they thought it meant something that it didn't mean, right? So I'm gonna say he's gonna fucking hate me. Bro, Scott Silver, best notes call ever. Uh, So here's a note, nope. Here's another note, pass. Here's another note, like Scott was just gutting these motherfuckers and his attitude was, if these execs aren't willing to fight for their notes, then I know they don't even believe in them, right? Which is true, I can't do that though. I cannot do that.
0: This is another Hollywood thing and that, that drives me crazy. And, if there, and I know there are a lot of young development people and producers who listen to this. If you're a producer and you're working with a writer, own your opinion. So what that means is what I hated when I was younger, and people wouldn't do this now, is when you would turn a script into the producer and they would say, I love that moment in act two when the bad guy says, get your yah yas out. And I, man, you guys are great that you did that. And then you would get on the notes call and the exec would say, that moment in act two with the yah yas I hate that. And the producer would go, I agree, that's got to come out. And that would drive me nuts because I'm like, well, if be, you know, we're supposed to be in this together. And so when I'm in that role, I want to defend the writer, especially if I've already gone through a notes process with them, given my thoughts and then gotten to that place. And I know you do the same for your writers. You you're you said you, yep. you took something from that going forward. Yep. And yep. I find that to be an important thing to do, right? To to, to sort of keep your compact with the, 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 with the writer if you're a producer.
1: And, and I agree 100. I think like to sidebar a little bit off the deeper issue, I think there's an emergence of writers who are now producing as non-writing EPs. I think it's very, very healthy for this business because I think exactly what you said, we understand what the other side is. We've been through it. Uh, enough that we know it's okay to defend something that people disagree with because that's oftentimes the magic. But lastly, we can create our own shit. Most of these producers we're in bed with feel like any given project is what they got. You know what I'm saying? And therefore if they got to gut you a little bit, you know what I'm saying? As a writer, You know, what I'm saying to keep it alive. They're going to do it. Whereas me, you, the list of other people we know that are producing are like, man, we'll go grab the same writer, create some other shit and take it out. Fuck it. And other, you know what I'm saying? So I think it's a very healthy thing. And I did learn that. And we do take great pride in that. We're like, we're with in general. If we've agreed on the creative, we fucking agreed on the creative. You know? Oh, in private with the writer.
0: I'm gonna, look, Dave and I did rounds of notes with you. Dave and I did rounds of notes with you. It's just once you've gone through that process with the writer and you've decided, you co-sign, you're like, this thing works. I'm gonna go into a a co- because I don't want the project to be ruined. It's hard. I've, I've learned also over the years to be much more nuanced at how to absorb the notes and much better about them personally. It's much harder when it's to someone else because I just want to defend the, the writer, but I have to figure out how to, you know, figuring out how to do that and keeping the momentum going is hard. Speaking of momentum, when you were going through this stuff, pre-Empire, how were you sort of facing the day every day? What were you doing to get yourself to do work, to get yourself to try to make the calls, to get stuff started? Like. Were you giving up at any point? Like what, what was your self-talk
1: like? Um, it was dark. Um, I feel like if this, one thing I can say, man, is I did not believe it was going to happen again. I genuinely to the bottom of my heart felt like it was over. Um, and, and though I don't really know why I kept working, but it wasn't a positive thing. Like, you know, I kept doing good work but it really i feel like it was spite or like i really felt like kind of like cuz you know i'm you know me like i'm you know like this is something i don't do that gagan did for his whole career and i'm just starting to do i was back in the streets like if i get a little money from you you know from your project and i see it's about to go bad for another year and a half i'm gonna get that money i'm gonna put that money to work and i think i was just operating from a place to fuck you like i'm gonna make everybody uncomfortable by sending them my scripts as I write them and make them say, you know, sorry, Mal, you know, we can't get to this or it's not for us for the rest of my life. Um, but that that's the energy that was behind it. It was not, I didn't think I was gonna get back in. I, I didn't have belief in myself, you know what I'm saying? When
0: you say you're talking about it, I know you've said you talk about it, even though I kept this secret for a very long time for you, but you're saying you put it in the streets, you mean you were engaging in criminal activity from time to time.
1: Yeah, it, it was my identity, it's funny because You know, I'm not, no one mistakes me for a tough or a gangster, right? And so I find a lot of white people find my story dubious until they get around people I know and they're like, oh shit, you know what I'm saying? He really was that guy. Like, yeah, I I identified, like, I reserved the right for the rest of my life to hit the streets if Hollywood drives me out because I invested in that. It is a skill set I have. And and it disempowers any system over me except for the fucking grip. We're talking about marijuana. Just, just so just so yes. people
0: know, we're talking about marijuana. Nothing else. We're not talking about uh, smash and grab jobs, and we're not talking about har- moving uh, freight uh, a heavy weight of heroin. We're talking about marijuana.
1: Yes. Uh, at, le- at least in the 2000s, we're talking about marijuana. Yes. Yeah, that's let's, that's
0: <laughs> fine. Uh, I, I was never skeptical, other than I tried to talk you out of it a few times, but I was never skeptical of it.
1: Um, yeah, and, I, and I, you know, that's a part of your story you don't share because people think, oh, well, I had this period piece about, you know, Henry VIII, but you wouldn't be right for that, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to be careful what you tell people. But now I'm like... Man, you know, I've seen other people use their life story to sort of add that veneer of flavor and specificity. So I'm much more vocal about it these days.
0: How do you know what the word veneer means?
1: <laughs> exactly. Ask Tim.
0: He's gonna. Yeah. Be so how do you know? How do you know the word veneer? <laughs> I don't. Well, now that you said his last name, that's crazy. I'm 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 beeping the
1: last name. I'm not keeping. Yeah, that. beep the I'm last not. name because Tim's a sweetheart and that's our boy.
0: Yeah, because
1: it's all love.
0: Well, but living a double or triple life. Feels like, also you were sober, right? At a certain point, you got sober, didn't you?
1: Yep, yep, 20, 21 years ago.
0: Right, so you give up drinking 21 years ago, but you're still in a marijuana business and trying to be a Hollywood writer. It feels like that level of not just bifurcation, trifurcation or whatever, must be, it must be difficult to compartmentalize the amount that you have to.
1: It, it's it's funny. Like, um, I know Pam's not going to remember this, but I had a meeting once with Pam Abdi, which I remember was one of my worst meetings ever. And it wasn't because of her. I came in so fucking hostile. I'm sure she won't remember because I didn't do nothing to her. I just remember there was a darkness around me because I knew wasn't, nothing was going to come out of it or whatever. Right. And I just let that lead. And I think that at some point you lose the ability to compartmentalize. or I did anyway. And I think, you know, people started to smell that he's not really of Hollywood. And that doesn't mean that right now I become a fake person. It just means there was no aura of success about me that they understood. And I think at some point I stopped being able to compartmentalize, but to be fair, I was out. You know what I'm saying? I was completely out. So It's much more important for me to be able to hop into a situation with some cats that's going to let me help me get get some money and be comfortable with them than it is for me to be pleasant when I'm sitting down with Pam. You know what I'm saying? And this is why I think she was at Paramount. That's how long ago this was. You know, um, I
0: I had uh, I had outdoor dinner with Pam and Mike DeLuca two nights ago in New York. And uh, she's you know, one of the better ones, uh, uh oh, as an, I mean, great, I like yeah. Pam, Pam has a heart of gold, actually. We've been through a lot together and, uh,
1: I ha- are you and she cool now? We, we she does not even really know me that good. I remember the meeting because I knew she won't remember it. I knew I was done. Like I just, she'll remember it.
0: it. I'm going to, she'll remember it. Yeah. She, it's,
1: it, 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 yeah. I just, the meeting is memorable to me, not cause of any other reason then, I was done before I walked through the door. My energy was that of a done, a person who is not gonna fucking happen. And when I left, I was like, "Welp, I'm back in the fucking streets. Fuck this shit."
0: Okay, but this is uh, the 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 fatalism that you talk about which you did, you used to have a lot of, like we would have these breakfasts and you had so much fatalism of like, look, dude, it's not gonna happen, you know, for me, uh, but for you, it's different and it's just not gonna, but something happened. And you, you would say over and over again, I'm not going in for black jobs. I mean, you would say those words to me all the time. I'm not going in to write the black gang movie. But then talk through the decision to go, that changed your life which is to go in on Empire because that did, basically going against a rule you had, which you thought was essential, did lead to your absolute uh, rise to, to, like 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 immediately it was clear how valuable you were in that room the whole business knew it you were offered the show and suddenly you were like a fucking supernova who's got a marvel show and the best show on fx right now so what happened that made you say okay i'm going to take this risk
1: so let me be clear so the audience doesn't think i'm some self-hating black dude i was the reason i didn't want to go up for black jobs is all you got to do is go look at this era on box office mojo once you labeled yourself black back then, you are not fucking working. There's maybe three, like even right now, besides me, there's probably less than five other black people working in features. You know what I'm saying? Like it just doesn't happen that much. So by put by embracing that moniker, you can't break out of out of a, a pigeonhole that is a pigeonhole where I could not find work. I've had to reinvent myself three, probably three different times, the empire situation, you know what it was? You had put me actually in a really good position, right? Uh, they loved yard dogs. I didn't know this cause no one fucking tells you. I probably didn't have agents at the time. Right. Right. But, but, uh, I believe I'm going to say his name. Cause I'm almost sure he said this. I think Michael Thorne said I would bring, he would bring up that project every year as possibly viable. Right. Right. Yes. And Because of that, they would call me about projects, not all the time. And one thing that is either a strength or weakness, Brian, is even at this time when I'm completely out in this business, if I didn't think the shit was right, I wouldn't take the gig, right? And so um, um, it was, we just naming all the names, fuck it um um our boy chris morgan called me about it uh, like fox was like what about me? so they they threw and thrown a couple shows at me and i was like i can't fucking do it i'd rather be in this stupid ass place and i don't know why we that's maybe another podcast but no
0: it's worth it no no this is important for writers too i Dave and i say it all the time if you don't think you know how to do the thing in a way that it can tap into what makes you great as an artist you can't do it because you'll fuck it up
1: yeah, you just, you got to believe, you don't even have to be clear on it. You got to have that gut instinct that makes you say yes or no. That simply, you know what I'm saying? Yes, yeah, so and you would I'm say no, broke. even though, you, right, you wanted to be able to say yes. I'm broke. But- I don't, I'm broke as fuck. And then I got to admit, the reason I said yes on Empire was, A, I knew I could do it, right? Right obviously it's about hip-hop look at what i just did with hip-hop uncovered um um it was about hip-hop but also i'm not gonna lie uh my manager because i had a manager at the time was like this malcolm you've already told fox no twice if you tell him no now and by the way this is the going to the thing i said about passive aggressive and learning someone's culture right yes i promise you this was what i'm about to tell you was enlightening to me To anyone that's been around success in business, it's going to be like, duh. My manager said, if you say no a third time, Fox is going to think, oh, you don't want to be in business with us, which is fine by them, but it stops. Right. And so the two things was, I knew I could be helpful in Empire. That's 90% of why I said yes. And 10% was, this is the last time they're going to call you.
0: And how quickly did you realize that this was a good thing and that- you were starting to have a different level of
1: momentum. Um, you mean from the show, like, there were two levels. Number one, it's it's for someone like me, who's competitive and sizes people up, right? Um, I called our boy Craig Mason a few months in, right? At this point, me and Danny are in love, me and Eileen are in love, me and Lee are in love, right? And uh, those are the
0: people uh, who run uh, Empire, yeah, who
1: run Empire, the people who run Empire. I'm on really good terms. And I called up Mazin and I'm not going to use my exact language because it's going to sound less loving than it was. But I called Mazin and was like, I need a witness. I need you to remember what I did here. I'm about to be the fucking man. Right. You, you made that call <laughs> to me. I mean, you made the same call to me and Dave. Yeah, I probably there's probably like three of y'all who I called because all of a sudden I've been allowed to be around success. And I've been embraced by successful people. And I'm like, oh, shit, I can do this, right? And then I say this, at the end of season one, because of how generous Danny, Lee, and Eileen had been, like, they was bringing me into meetings with Dana Walden, right? They literally, I'm not going to lie, they literally were like, whether saying it out loud or not, we want this dude to do well in life. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yes. That by the end of season one, with a, I don't know, man, we must have been getting close to a seven in the demo, which hadn't been hit in 30 years. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, Shit was all of a sudden different. And to people who are trying to come up in this business, it was like the clouds parted. And I was like, oh, fuck. I was never in Hollywood. You know what I'm saying? That's right.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, because when you say you broke in before, I don't think you did break in before. I think you got work before. I think you got some work because you would talk about it. You would say, I get, I remember, I remember sitting there and you would say, I get the minimum, the job that they're going to give the screenwriter who will do it for $150,000
1: or whatever the minimum. 85, like, my friend, 85.
0: No, that was for the pilot, but for the for feature, what was the feature script number?
1: 85, my friend, 85. Okay, so
0: yeah, and you would say, I'm doing the feature and I'm like, we're in a weird way. I remember then that's part of the fatalistic thing. I remember thinking- that you shouldn't settle for that. You should push, but you were like, you don't understand. I mean, you would say to me, you don't understand what happens when I walk into a room. I mean, and I would, I believed you. I was like, I didn't, I wasn't skeptical about it. I I, I did understand what you were saying, but I don't think you broke in until six years ago. I
1: agree. And I didn't, and the thing is, it's, that's what's fucked up about if you haven't been groomed, like, you got to see your father be successful. You knew what success looked yes. like, Yes, right? yes. If you don't know what it looks like and sounds like, you're not even moving the same way as everybody else. You don't even know, bro. It's brilliant. You're the garbage can. They're throwing you some shit. Like, yeah, it is. It, <laughs>
0: no, it's, um, I, I often say, Malcolm, when people ask about the advantage of growing up with a father who was successful, The biggest advantage, there are tons of them, right? A million of them. I, I didn't have to pay for college, right? A million advantages. The biggest advantage was I understood what happened in rooms when powerful people met each other. I just understood what that looked like. I understood what the customs were. I understood how to take the piss out of the CEO in a way that would make him like you. It's all these things. And yes, I could model success. In other words, it's not the access or but it's all the stuff that lets you go out and do if you pay attention. That's why I can never understand the sons of rich people, sons particularly, because women have their own hard battle, but I never understand the sons of self-made rich people in particular who don't figure out how to get their own. I have such contempt for them just knowing how much easier the
1: playing field was for me. It, it's and by the way, I'ma say this, college makes a huge fucking difference. Like I hear all these people bitch about oh USC didn't do anything for me or whatever, the whoop-de-woo, right? But what the college does is yes. put you around other people who come from successful backgrounds and who are gonna go off and be successful, if nothing else.
0: It's. I think it makes a huge difference too, and like, and that doesn't mean you know. I had lots of sad, very, very difficult years, but I. Uh, it doesn't matter. I had underneath all that. The sort of bedrock knowledge of what it takes, and and the sort of received thing of like, well, I can solve this because I've seen it solved. You had to fucking solve it on your own, and that's completely without any sort of uh, direct mentorship. Now. You're an intellectual. Your wife is a uh, an incredible novelist and uh, intellectual reader, like one of the biggest readers I know. Talk about, and you know, you come from very highly, highly educated people. Talk about the decision not to do college. Talk, please also talk about, you know, I have a daughter who's dyslexic, but a great writer.
1: Talk about the learning stuff too. So. You use the term decision not to go to college. Right. And I want to be clear about something. It is um, my father and that whole side of family are amazing. Right. I didn't grow up with them. Right. Not in no kind of way. Now, it is why I'm obsessed with nature versus nurture, because my sisters who I fucking adore talk to every day, my cousins, everybody on that side. Ivy League, top to fucking bottom. I mean, right,
0: and your dad is a professor, a notable professor.
1: Yeah, he's a brilliant, brilliant dude, right? But I didn't grow up with that.
0: Yeah, you didn't know him. I understand.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't want to say that because I don't want this getting out there like that. I just didn't grow up with them, you know, mom. They was divorced from when I was a baby, and I just I grew up with my mom, right? I and I think and I sympathize with your daughter because I got tracked into dumb classes very, very early on. I was never going to college, bro. I didn't, my, you know, my crew who I grew up with, who I talked to and text with every single day, one of them went to college out of probably like 15 dudes. College wasn't a thing that we were doing. It wasn't even a decision. It like, it just, I, I, my life was so fucking closed off until I met Nichelle. You know yes. what I'm saying? Like my, my life was going to be in the neighborhood. I'd probably work a job. You know what I'm saying? at, you know, whatever, at some point, have a kid, you know, like it was a very, very provincial life. Nichelle, it, it's funny because I would argue I'm more ambitious than she is. But Nichelle was so when you say a voracious reader, this is what made the difference. Nichelle grew up poor, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to put a business on the thing. But, you know, she had she she it wasn't easy for her. Right. Michelle, on a, on average, probably reads 300 books a year. You know what I'm well, saying? Well, Michelle is
0: so smart. She has a, a very, very rare level of intelligence. Right. Like,
1: you know. So her world was way bigger than mine right. because all she did was take in information. Yes. So she's the only reason I'm alive. She's the only reason I'm out here writing. You know what I'm saying? Um, Where, so wait, did you want to... But but, uh, uh,
0: nature versus nurture and, and a reaction... So y- like you knew your father was an intellectual, even though you didn't weren't around him. So it, right. you were closed off, but you were aware of that. Yeah,
1: and, and I think and you were aware that your
0: different- mother you were aware that your mother was a smart person and an artist and all this stuff, right? So that gave
1: me an advantage. Like I would argue that got muted under nature, meaning this. Once Shell cut cut open nature and let light in. Yes. Got me to L.A. Nurture came out and I won't for one second say I didn't have an advantage to like I got boys who grew up with 13 fucking brothers and sisters all in one house. You know, my best friend John was telling me he's like he thinks he had one on one time with his mom once or twice in his life ever, ever. Right. Right. So, no, I'm not denying that I had that but it was muted and closed off and buried under soil, the soil of nature, meaning my behavior and 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 actions and the lifestyle. Soil
0: of, the soil of nurture, sorry, the nurture was on top of the nature, you were saying, right? So I'm nature had nature,
1: to- Oh yes, yes, nurture was on so top of the nature, So nature had yes. to break through, nature That's had to right. break through. And someone had to do that for me. Like, I guarantee you this, you can ask Shell, if she doesn't come into my life, I'm in the neighborhood for my entire life.
0: A few things I want to talk about. Um, Okay, you got tracked into the dumb classes. Now, you know, I often think about Anna because she's such a great writer and she's, you know, straight A's at college, right? But she is so dyslexic. And in another set of circumstances, she would have just been, she already, with all the, the sort of ways in which she was taken care of, still there were nights she felt dumb because dyslexia made her feel dumb Even though, you know, we could show her, hey, sweetie, we got this test that says you're actually really smart. It's just you have this thing, right? You didn't have any of that. So for you, did you, but you, you, I wonder, because I had it with the ADHD thing where I would do badly, but I knew, like, did some part of you, though, know, because you are one of the smartest guys I know. So, and even when you were in periods of being unsuccessful, Malk, with the people you would talk to, with your friends, you would drop your take. Like you would look at my career. I always found this fascinating, right? We could have a year where I I earned 10 times what you earned and you would still could deconstruct the mistakes that I shouldn't make going forward. And you would have no hesitation about doing that. And I always wanted to know because I knew you knew. So I would ask you and we would talk it out, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering though, if there was always this sort of, dichotomy you were aware of that, yes, in this school thing, something's holding me back. On the other hand, I see everything. I can synthesize better. I know it, you're laughing. Because, <laughs> like, like, you must have known, oh, I'm smarter than all these teachers, right? You must have known it, some part of you.
1: It, it's so funny you say that, like, it's one of the reasons I picked the people I picked when I was at Empire to call, is because only a few people really see what I am, right? I'm smart as fuck and I'm one of the smartest people most people will ever met, uh, meet. Right. But you got to be bright to get it. Yeah. So yes. Growing up. It's so funny. Have you seen this documentary called the scheme? Uh, it's about this young dude, Christian who got caught up paying uh, ball players, you know, to go to NBA colleges. Recently. Yeah. Uh-huh. Watch it. Cause there's this moment where Christian, when he was 16 years old, wrote his mom a letter about why he was going to go to college. And he's like, mom, I'm smarter than everybody. I said a long letter, but the trust of it is I'm smarter than everybody. And it reminded me when I was a kid, I can't remember where I was, but I had to be like, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. And something was happening and I came sprinting home. Right. And I told my mom, I'm out of breath. And I told my mom, Hey mom, I think I'm one of the smartest people on the planet. Like, as she started laughing in my face. I'm like, "No, you don't get it, mom. I'm smarter than everybody. I'm smarter <laughs> than these fucking white <laughs> teachers I got. I'm smarter than these motherfuckers hustling. I'm smarter than everybody. You know what I'm saying? And I, that's not literal. People gonna hear this and think I'm an asshole, even though it is literal. I'm gonna pretend it's not literal because yes, it, it is. So it is. It that's one of the things that makes it difficult though when you know you can do it." and you are willing to make changes to do it, right? Like the reason I'm here sitting with you today is because in being around successful people and maybe getting a few shots in life, right? I was willing to make adjustments so that I could continue to be successful. I won't at all claim that some of the biggest breaks that I ever got in life had nothing to do with me, right? They were luck or they were someone's good graces and a lot of people who are smarter than me probably would never get them looks, but yeah, for sure, B, let's don't, there's there's like, out of our crew of 20 or 30 A-list screenwriters, there's like five of you guys who on the side are like, I see you, bro, I know what you are. (laughs) Right,
0: yes. Well, yeah, and and, I mean, I remember having that realization at breakfast, the first time we had breakfast together, because I knew you were funny. We had met on, on this message board and knew each other. And But then, you know, I remember sitting down and just being like, oh, this this guy, uh, this is my guy. Like, this is who exactly the kind of person I need to talk to in my life. And, you know, uh, I mean, no matter what, when I would come to L.A., the first or second day, you and I always had breakfast. And, you know, Billions has made it less frequent than I'm out there. But uh, the long catch-ups we have where we talk for an hour are still like so crucial to me, you know, and uh, uh, it's so moving what's happened to you. I mean, I look at this week and uh, for your friends, because the truth of the matter is there's only so much that anyone can do for anyone else in this business, right? Yep. Dave and I were happy that we could, you know, get a project set up for you when we did. And I'm sure... The whibs were, and Derek was, and whoever else. None of us did it out of kindness either. We did it because we were like, well, this is a talent. This is, a, You know, this is an undervalued asset. We can help make it valued properly. But on a certain level, one has to write one's way out of it or meet one's way out of it or shapeshift one's way out of it, which you did, and it is so fucking moving to me. So I got to ask you what this moment feels like. Like literally today as we're sitting here, Last night, your guy won a Grammy award, Third straight. The hip hop show is beloved. And also, you're in the thing, just absolutely being yourself and talking about the world. Though I'm interested in why you didn't put executive producer on that. and You just made it like you're an empire writer instead of that you're the exec producer of the whole thing. And now you've got this giant, you had to manage. So... What's incredible to me is from all this stuff and being aware of all the micro-politics and micro-aggressions you dealt with, and it sounds like just direct aggressions that you dealt with, now you have to manage a giant Marvel franchise dealing directly with Kevin Feige, and you're the guy responsible for overseeing the writing of the show. And I... Uh, you know, and it's coming out now. And it's, you know, I got my, my, my genius nephew, Jacob, who's going to Yale Law School, uh, which is the hardest law school to get into in the country by far. I mean, the perfect LSCT score kind of a guy. And he's like, holy shit, you're friends with the guy making the Falcon in the winter. It's like, he can't believe it. It's People are so excited about this. How did you take this on? And how did you manage this gigantic system, like Marvel, to get your show to where it
1: is? It's, some of it is the Marvel system. Some of it is coming up, the failures I've had in managing like a weed empire, right? Where you bring partners in, and you learn a fucking ton from (laughs) it. it is, the core. It's business though, it's supply, it's demand it's 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 quality control it's personality management which is the number one for high level hollywood the number one attribute i think you need is personality management right and if you dealing with motherfuckers in the streets it, it, you better get that shit right even if it's going bad you better have that shit right you know what i'm saying because personality management can lead to all kinds of fucked up shit um, it's doing the label with Fantastic Negrito with like really strong, you know, few, a few other really strong personalities or whatever. Right. And and starting to learn to have that to be able to intuit when you're going to get your way, when you're going to when you're not, when it's important to fight, when it's not and how to nonstop put out fires. You know what I'm saying? Because and you got to and getting I think like getting that ability to distill every interaction you have with what am I trying to get out of this interaction, right? I can go to breakfast with you and be raw and honest or whatever, right? But if I'm sitting down with anyone I'm in business with, you don't know how many writers I see talk about how they feel about they was being rewritten or some notes or whatever. And it's like, that don't have no value to nobody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, don't
0: bring that to the table. Hundred percent.
1: It's your. Well, you can bring that so to the table that.
0: with your with your friends, but don't bring that to a. And 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 well, okay, this is really valuable. What you just said. You can be very friendly with an executive or a producer in Hollywood, but be really careful about deciding they're your friends who you can tell all that to you. You may, over a long period of time, decide one is a friend. You may make a friend uh, out of it, but. It's not, um, that is not where it starts. And that's not where it gets to quickly. Uh, an agent who's really smart about the business once said to me about the head of a network, he was like talking about someone. He said, well, blank guy thinks he's, uh, he's friends with X head of network because they go to dinners. And he goes, and I said to him, two years after he cancels your show, when you're still going to dinner, then you'll know that you were friends.
1: So real, so real. Bernie Brillstein said in his book, the you, you, it's uh, what do you say you you there's no way to tell the uh difference between hollywood friends and real friends until it's too late or something like that you know what i'm saying similar sentiment
0: yeah i often say i often say the the problem with hollywood friends is they're like milk they have expiration dates stamped on the back of their necks uh i felt it bro
1: all these motherfuckers turned their back on me and and what if 50 cents say uh uh uh, I'm not going to use the words you use, but you can these industry motherfuckers. Uh, uh ain't your friends. They just know how to pretend. You know what I'm saying? And it, it is, it is an important thing to learn because here's something I fell for this. I will, I will definitely check myself on this. When I first broke in, God damn Brian, did I think I was special? You know what I'm saying? And My agent warned me. Like people, John Jashni warned me. He, I'm working with John now. By the way, John Jashni, who
0: ran. He, he, what's the company he ran? He ran that right, legendary. Yeah, he runs it. Yeah,
1: they could see this is a nice dude. He is so fucking far beyond his depth because he thinks that all of this that we're doing together is about more like if this shit don't happen, I'm not never talking to him again. You know what I'm saying? And and. I think the intoxication of this business, it's, first of all, don't ever be so arrogant to think it won't affect you because then you're done. You know what I'm saying? Like, you gotta have people who can pull your coat or be able to pull your own coat. But yeah, I think that's how you end up thinking these people are your friends because you're having a good run, you're having great meetings, a couple of things get made and you start to believe all of this is realer than it is or it's about more than it is. And the reason you believe that is, it's a very warm feeling to believe you're the special one. You know what I'm saying? And you are not meaning this. We are, me and you are special and unique, but that don't matter. Box office matters. Ratings matter. Awards matter. And how much terrible shit has made a ton of money. When does anyone agree that an award is deserved, right? That's all subjective.
0: Yeah. It depends on what you're, you're going for, but I would say it, the only way I would say it slightly differently from my perspective is you can it might be important for you to think when you sit down to create something that you have access to this special feeling that you can get on the page. But what you can't confuse that with is the sense that they are going to think you're special, that they that 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 special quality is valued by by them. It might not be valued by them at all. And that's like the Barton Fink thing, right? They might not be valued by them at all. And if you put your own worth connected to that, then you're going to be in hell. Uh, and and I'll tell you, I, I I even even in a Hollywood career that from afar like looks like you know pretty good. Mine uh, from a long you know a long period of doing
1: this stuff. It looks good to me.
0: <laughs> no, right? Uh, yeah. So it's great obviously, right? <laughs> Uh, But there are so many people that Dave and I know, and they're they're so used to Hollywood working this way. They don't even realize that you can track it. There are so many people who truly disappear when it goes badly. And that's fine if they would just go away. But then the moment you have some successful thing, they will text you or email you as though they've been there the whole time. Dude and it must be happening to you and and you go like are you is this how you sir go through your life that you you believe in a transaction like you'd be okay with that on the roof it's amazing we can count on it i can count on when certain people are gonna surface and and there's one person i mean, also mike deluca who's my real friend mike deluca at the low points of my career was always like do you guys need a job and i always knew i could go to mike and there'd be a job Uh, Because he believed in us and was there, even in the downside. Now, maybe it was the same thing where he felt it was an undervalued asset at various times, but he was there. The point is, that guy was there. But that's rare. That shit is rare when you know there's someone who's there for, for you, who's confident enough in their own judgment not to just let their judgment swing from high to low based on how the market's receiving you at a given
1: time, right? It, it's interesting because one thing you were talking about in your run was the belief that you're special, but the people that you're, you're exchanging your wares with, your, your, your skill sets with, I would argue that 90% of the motherfuckers flipping burgers, driving Uber, or even operating on people are not that good at what they do, which means 90% of people you give your work to aren't capable of knowing it's remarkable. If some director or star says yes, and a network says, I wanna make it, or a studio says, I wanna put on the screen, then they love it, but they never knew whether you were special or not. And that's a very difficult thing to accept because it means you can't really get in my opinion, this is what, how I got to do to survive, right? I can't ever believe, let myself believe any of these people Correct. really value what I do or are capable of understanding it because then what happens when you had that dry run again?
0: Well, yeah, you hope that that's what I'm saying. You hope. So Mike DeLuca makes you know, knock around guys with us, it doesn't do well most people would have turned away for whatever reason that guy made a deal with us in his next job and his next job because he felt like... But Mike
1: kind of a legend. Like I said, I didn't say nobody can do it. That's correct. It's like, you know, it it is... And I want to say, like, I'm very reluctant to name names of people I don't know, but it's just, right, there's there's some guys who... How many Mike DeLucas are... Like, if you look at when he started... (laughs) One, right, basically and him. Look at his peer group. I bet you 90% of those motherfuckers are out the business or irrelevant. That's correct. So you already know, so yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. It's I'm like, saying it's rare, it's yeah.
0: super rare. It's so rare that I know there's one dude. That's how Go rare ahead. it is. That there's one guy I could I could sort of count on in that way to appreciate what Dave and I were doing. Um, Can you talk a little bit more though about the learning stuff, Malk, whether it's dyslexia or whatever it is. I know you never have labeled it, but you always say like reading something is extra hard for you. Writing to get there is extra hard. How have you managed it now? Because on the page, dude, you, da- I mean, I'll say people haven't had the privilege to read you. I've read you. And it's funny, I read you after, you know, when we became friends, I hadn't read you at all. And I read you after, and I assumed cause you talked always about how hard it was for you, how much time it took for you, how much you beat yourself up. And I was surprised by the e- just total elegance of the way that you write. You are a great prose writer on the page. And I can't imagine how hard that is for somebody who has like learning differences. So can you just talk a little bit about that for wh- whoever's listening and might might have it? Because it's not just that you could tell a good story, which all in Hollywood would be all the mattered, by the way. If you could tell it great and keep me interested, that's enough, but that is not enough for you. You are so stylish and elegant on the page. But talk about that process and how hard it is.
1: Um, it, it's where it really hurts me is reading. The, uh, but it also hurts with the writing. The reason is if you're, if you're show running or producing, you got to read a lot. Oh, my gosh. And, yes. And when my brain is fucking up, I will read the same thing 30 fucking times. And it's dropping out the back of my head. I literally don't know what I just read. And then I got to read it again. And it drops out of my head. And I guess got to keep rereading the same thing until at some point it sticks or I've read it so many times that when it, the, the shit that it dropped out came back. And I don't, I don't know what that is. That could just be me being an asshole. I don't know. Cause I've never been tested for the writing thing. It's fuzzy for me because I want to de-romanticize writing because I think it will make me a better writer. So I know one thing I did is I believed, if it was hard and unpleasant, then that makes it better. That's yes, which is not true. It's not true. You kill yourself. You rewrite your shit 50 fucking times. And they're still going to say these first 20 pages don't work over here. You know what I'm saying? No matter how. And, and, and I haven't learned to deprogram myself from that. So like, let's say some shit, like I just wrote the best shit I've ever written. Right. And I wrote it fast. And, and, and I doubted it, at, I was like, this can't be working because it's just coming out, right? And that's the first time that's ever happened for me. So where, where something being wrong with my brain meets uh, 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 just bad thinking and, and bad habits, I don't know. But for the writing process, there's a physical, like if I don't reread and rewrite every single word, First, yes. I physically will not be able to move forward with the thing. And that's not helpful. You know this from working in TV. That shit, get, you could rewrite that shit in a minute. Get this draft done. You know what I'm saying?
0: Wait, you can't go, because I also have to reread up to up through and, and tweak, except the only time I don't is if I've outlined the whole thing and then I'm writing just scene, I'm just writing scenes, then I can go to, a, I have to kind of glance, but then I can go to a scene and write it. You can't just write the scene without no right. No. Yeah, that no. sucks.
1: Yeah, it sucks, and 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 there's no way around it. It's an impediment, and so what I've had to do is build a process that accommodates it. And you got to have frank conversations with your partners. You know what I'm saying? Like, what I will do is be methodical as fuck and make sure I'm clear on what I'm gonna do, how I want to, and if you sign off on that shit, let's go. Because you know, I won't name the project, but one of my favorite projects. I warned them on what we was going to do. And then when they got there, like, ah, can you do it the other way? It's like, no, I can't. It's just, let's get rid of me. Keep going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And that sucks. You know what I'm saying? But you know, everybody can't be Brian Koppelman.
0: Last thing. All right. Last thing. Are you ready for what is about to happen to you when this show hits this Marvel thing? And you're in the fucking storm.
1: I believe so. Like, I've been through a lot um I've been close a few times and and I feel pretty grounded B right I feel you know what I'm saying like you know yes. it's coming to me very late in life you know what I'm saying and so it can only be uh what it is and you know I got a vision for what I want to do if energy comes my way what I want to do with it like I'm about to, I'm talking to I'm not going to, I, I, I want to open like the best screenwriting school in the country in Compton, right. With my boy Jim. And I want to bring up some of these people. So yeah, I feel ready for it, man. Um, um, whatever, man, what if the worst thing they can do to me is what they've been doing to me. So let it, let it happen. Yeah.
0: Well, they're not ignoring Malcolm Spellman anymore. And, uh, man, thanks for doing this.
1: Thank you for having me, B. I'm
0: so excited for people to uh, just see all the work and get to know you more and more. And uh, man, I mean, just for people listening, you should know that when I dropped Anna off at school one day, I dropped her at college because Amy was making a movie and I dropped her. I was alone and I was very sad. It was a couple hours away from L.A. where she was going and I was driving And I realized I was going to kind of go by Malik's neighborhood. And I called him and I was like, dude, I know it's like a Saturday, but uh, I think I need a hug. And you were like, come on. And I came, I drove over. I was really sad. And like this feeling of dropping your daughter off of college, it's great, but then it sucks. And I just pulled in and I don't, you, you, you came out of your house. This was just a couple of years ago. And, uh, and you gave me a hug, man. And I got to say, um, there just are not many people in Hollywood that I could make that phone call to and who would come out there just to give me a hug.
1: No, nah, so, bro, I appreciate you. You've been there. You can say it. You know, you remember how fucked up it was for me and I appreciate you being there and thank you for having me on your platform and it'll be fun now. You know, you don't have to feel weird about like telling me what your deals, how much money you making, you know what I'm saying? Uh, we, <laughs> I never feel
0: weird. You advise me on all of it, but, uh, yeah. but also I will just say this. I must have bought you 40 breakfasts. Absolutely. And I am never buying a fucking breakfast.
1: Nah, game. I got you. I got you. Can you make sure your fans watch Hip Hop Uncovered? I would say it's a masterpiece. It's you a masterpiece. Be, yeah, it, I, it love, it so I yeah. love it so much. I love it so much. I want honorable. more shows on
0: Depp. It's a, it's a masterpiece. All right, everybody. we we'll see you next time. You can find Malcolm not on social media. He has a secret social media, but you're not going to find him. You can find me at Brian Hoffman. All right, Malcolm, I'll see you, buddy. Bye, right, guys. Bye everybody. See you next time.